0: Welcome everyone to the Grief Dialogues Compassionate Culture Series, and I am honored and delighted to have as my guest today, Paul Boardman, Uh, Paul, pardon me? It's my honor. Oh, thank you, thank you, having worked with you now on two different books and hopefully upcoming as well, um, which by the way is going to be called Grief Dialogues, Grief in the Time of COVID. So it was my pleasure to have you here. I'm just gonna give a little bit of your background, which is Paul Boardman is a writer and interfaith funeral chaplain and celebrant um, for Dignity Memorial. I mean, you can tell us a little bit about that organization a little bit later on, living in Seattle, Washington. Paul grew up in Tokyo, Japan and holds the farcically named Masters of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary. Two of his enduring oops, Two of his endearing things that just fell off my screen. Two of his endearing thematic obsessions in writing are what constitutes a good life in the face of death, loss, and the nature of yearning, even greed, for love. His work has been featured in the Good Men Project, Gravel, Thrive Global, P.S. I Love You, Veteran News Report, and ICCFA Magazine. And in the anthologies, just a little more time, we came to say, and we came back to say, and he's looking to place your his memoir. And I wanna know more about that too, because that's gotta be fantastic. Anyway, Paul, thank you for coming here today. Um, and I know us in this, this uh, field, um, understand about funeral celebrants a little bit, um, unless we have actually experienced them ourselves. Some of them in our, our churches or whatever, we've had the minister, the priest, or the rabbi.
1: But um, give us a little background on what you do. Yeah, so a funeral celebrant, some people still call me a chaplain, but um, you know, we typically not always but we typically take the place of a minister let's say to the person or family who doesn't you know have a home church or synagogue or just doesn't really identify uh, necessarily with a uh, you know specific faith um or or they might have been they might they might
2: still be let's say uh, a person of faith but they've Fallen away, or maybe
1: they maybe they've been in a you know assisted living facility for a number of years, and they don't uh, participate in the life of, of of whatever congregation they're part of. So so the celebrant is a person who um, you know kind of first just walks with the family and listens to what they want for how to celebrate their lost loved one. Um, and um, what we typically do um, uh, is, um, like what I'll do is I'll, in pre-COVID times, <laughs> I, I would actually go visit with the family in their home. We'd sit around the living room and we would tell stories about their person. So I would gather all those stories, right, and, and come up with um, what would typically be a eulogy for you know, their lost loved one. And then, um, but also come up with an order of service, poetry readings, maybe scripture readings, if they, if that, if they're so inclined. Uh, And then, um, you know, just kind of figure out exactly the way that they would envision to how to honor their person. Um, And so the the celebrant both eulogizes, gathers the, the eulogy stories, and then also kind of presides on the day of the funeral or memorial service mm-hmm. to um, help the family say goodbye. You know, right. that's, that's what a celebrant does. Right. Uh, that that's, that's pre-COVID. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and we can talk about, you know, time of COVID kinds of services and like what we do now, but, but how oh, you changing. have any other question, yeah you yeah. have any question for me? Um,
0: not at the moment, because I know things have changed. And yeah. what yeah. I'd love to have you do now is to share the essay that you wrote. yeah. Oh, in the yeah. First edition yeah. Of brief dialogues, the book. Yeah. Um, obviously, letting our readers know that this was pre-COVID. This is how it used mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. And, and afterwards, we'll go into, you can go into uh, what happens now and what you see happening in the future as well.
1: Yeah. Okay. So this um, short story, if you want to call it that, um, it's in the Grief
2: Dialogues book, and uh, it really, it's a, it's a nice sort of depiction of what
1: the celebrant does sitting around with the family, right, the family members, and sharing those stories about their person and trying to figure out what is the best way to honor, in this case, him, um, the father and, and husband, Paul. Um, so the the title of this essay, uh, and and you'll 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 figure out why it's it, it's uh, entitled this a little bit later in the story, but um, it, it's a it's a little bit um, uh, controversial of a title, but it's called an asshole in plain view, an asshole in plain view, and um, so again, we're sitting around a table with three of the family members and i'm trying to get a sense of who their person is so i met the family susan his wife caitlin and lisa his daughters right after they viewed and identified their man paul 66 a veteran paul had checked into the hospital with flu-like symptoms and then he discovered he had pancreatic cancer it was all very sudden They thought Paul would survive this battle too, but then he suddenly got worse and died. The family was shaken up and tearful, in shock. When the nurse asked them which funeral home they wanted, Lisa named ours, one of ours, uh, the the only one that she knew because she drove by it every day. Now death was more than a passing glance through the windshield. In 48 hours, I would host paul's memorial service so after we shook hands uh, lisa said smiling through tears i guess it's fitting that you're a paul too i would learn that paul joined the army in 1967 while battling in vietnam he was exposed to Agent orange the defoliant used by the americans to strip the jungles so they could see their enemies in the 1990s Paul was given full medical discharge benefits, his symptoms progressively worsened. So we sat down and I offered a sample order of service and described each of the elements, any of which of course they could change. They said they didn't plan to write an obituary until after the memorial. And I said, okay, but the story of Your person's life grounds the leave-taking. It's important to review what he did, where he walked, how he spent his time, what his primary concerns were, who he was connected to, who he was born to, and who he leaves behind. To reflect in a plain-spoken manner on the span of his life. The anecdotes, the vignettes, and the storytelling are the meat on this frame. So tell me about Paul, I asked. What would you say about him to help me know him? Well, the first thing Caitlin blurted out is that he was an asshole. All three of them laughed. So I laughed along a little uncomfortably. The assholes I'd known were no laughing matter, but they cried and they laughed. Yeah, he was the crankiest son of a bitch. So damn cranky, Lisa announced. They laughed even harder. Susan, the wife, piled on. He was a prickly scorpion, stubborn as an ass. They cackled while they cried. I felt at ease then. The grouchiness was his identity. He was the lovable crank, the lovely curmudgeon. They could say these things because they adored him. The caricature of him as lovable asshole warmed them. He was a tender-hearted marshmallow, a teddy bear. He loved nothing more than to spoil his wife and his girls. The grouch syndrome was just his way of loving you on his terms, the way that he That way, he didn't have to expend his energy on people he didn't like. He would just push them away. If he liked you, he teased you. If he didn't like you, he provoked you, Lisa said. Caitlin declared, yeah, he was my hero. I aspire to be him. He never did anything to make people like him. He cared the least for people's approval of anyone I've ever known. The picture of Paul didn't totally come into focus I couldn't understand how such a man such a character could really be a role model though authenticity sounded about right but being true to himself still I was fuzzy on how to admire him I chose to just take them at their word their responsiveness to him was so overwhelmingly positive. positive two days later I praised a man who didn't just tolerate, but embraced the consequence of wholly being himself. Paul stood uncamouflaged before his people, a bare trunk in clear view. In the hospital, Paul said, After I'm gone, cry for 15 minutes, then have a party. Celebrate how much I loved you. Paul had scrambled his way through the jungle, and this was a war he had won.
2: Beautiful,
1: beautiful. I just love that
0: piece every time I hear it, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you. I can visualize him. Uh, kind of sounds like my dad, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, so uh, obviously you would go to the homes and you would uh, talk with them and, and do the. the uh, uh, eulogy and prepare to deliver the eulogy yep. in person with yep. loved ones all around. Um, so how is that different now?
1: <laughs> yep. that's, that's the question, isn't it, Elizabeth, thank you. Um, so at the end of March, you know, when this whole thing hit and of course Washington state was was the first state to lock down pretty much. Um, and um, so at the end of March, uh, Governor Inslee, State of, Gov- State of Washington, Governor Inslee, basically shut down all gatherings of any kind, you know, whether it was a church or a funeral or wedding. Um, there were no gatherings allowed. So um, that didn't last all that long, you know, so maybe it was like a week and a half that there was this real tight lockdown on all of those kinds of gatherings. But he loosened up a little bit uh, for funerals, only for funerals, to allow for family-only funerals. So it's been about two months uh, now that we've had small gatherings, family-only gatherings of about 10 people uh, for both outdoor graveside gatherings and also chapel services as well. So. that that's of course the first change um and um and so as the weather has warmed up it's been nice we've 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 had a lot of outdoor you know so sort of graveside services um people the families that are
2: gathering are you know standing mostly at six feet social
1: distance um uh, uh distances and then and then you know um in the chapels, it's like all the seats are taken out and, and there's just like a, you know, just a, a few of the family gathering. And then and then what I might say is that, um, of course, you've, like we're doing right now, Zooming and FaceTiming and all the rest, you know, we do the webcasting and um, that brings a wider group in. And unlike before, when we just had the webcast turned on, this time, in order to make those folks who are remote or maybe they're remote in the same city um, feel more included uh, we actually what I what I like to do is I like to turn to the camera and acknowledge everyone on the camera and say you know we're so happy that you're with us and that you know please feel included and then and then I have the uh, the little small gathering of family uh, members turn around and also wave and um, you know sort of acknowledge the presence of everyone out there and it's kind of beautiful
2: you know? oh, yes.
1: yeah so so um what what we what we see is that there's these like there's a there's a there's a increased intimacy because of the small gatherings i mean the family has to choose in a hierarchy i guess Mm -hmm. who is who is family only and who of the of a family of 20 needs to be limited to to 10 who will be able to attend and who won't be Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a kind of intentionality i think you know when when you know when when they when they come it's like well i i am the i am i am the mourner i am the designated mourner Mm -hmm. and um and then, so there's that sort of intentionality.
2: Um, and then, at the same time, I think what we lose is the
1: comfort of a bigger group and acknowledging the standing of our person in you know in society by having you know whatever 150 or whatever people. And so now that's that's gone, right? And and you don't have the the you know outer circles who maybe aren't feeling as intensely uh, full of grief as the chief mourners,
2: they're not getting the comfort of those people who aren't as devastated. Mm -hmm.
1: So that's why I think that like the acknowledgement of all of the folks who are participating virtually, the congregation, the cloud of witnesses out there, uh, Mm -hmm. is, 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 is really sweet Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's important. And then, um, so that's, that's one of the things that's, that's really changed. Um, then and then the other thing is what i might say is that um you know we're going at grieving in a staged process right so so okay we're gonna we're just gonna have family only gathering now a funeral we're going to bury uh you know grandma and um and then we will we're gonna have a celebration of life later when things open up right and so and so there's there's a there's a kind of tentativeness i suppose where people are you know don't know for sure when we will be able to gather when we'll be able to fully celebrate her life but um it also i think and i like that i like how this dovetails with the with the with your project and grief dialogues, which is it sort of mirrors what grief is like, right? It's not we don't just get this thing over with one funeral and get over it. We're going through this process. Um and it's gonna be a long time and we're and it's uncertain. We don't know when it's gonna be we don't we don't know how things are gonna come to closure. So recognizing that, and I'm really proud of my company, Dignity Memorial, for undertaking this, Um, recognizing this kind of uncertainty of this time of COVID, um, my company has undertaken this, what we call the obituary writing project or life story writing project. So any family that comes in the doors of any of the funeral homes, even if they don't have a funeral lined up, even if they don't have a memorial service lined up, even if they don't have any contract of any, you know, for any of that, we, the celebrants, will write, will start writing their loved one's story. So it's just a way for the family
2: to get going in memorializing their person. So. In
1: this case, of course, we're not sitting around the kitchen table. We're sitting around the virtual kitchen table by phoning, zooming, FaceTiming. and we gather the, the loved one's story, and then we write that up over a couple of days. We send it to the family, and they can do with it whatever they want. They can use, they can they can they can hone it and edit it and work on it for their September life celebration
2: service or. They can add, they can put, we've had families um, uh, p- actually start like a web page
1: of, you know, like Bob's stories, and then they, they put up this thing that's sort of like the centerpiece, a eulogy, if you will. And then, um, you know, people can add other stories and, you know, upload pictures and that sort of thing, or they can just add it to our uh, Dignity Obit website. They can, they can put it on any of their social media pages. And then we'll usually
2: do a, a you know condensed version for the newspaper
1: if that's what they want so it's just a, this sort of life story writing project it's just a just a kind of a community service i guess but right. it's not something that we really did before And it's just a way to help the family kind of get going in the staged process to begin to mem- memorialize the person
0: right right and um now do you see a difference in how the people react in their reef? Um, is are they like stunned or in shock, or more than they would be in any other time? Uh, yeah,
1: you know, there's there's a kind of um, there's a kind of sense of being stunned. Mm-hmm. You know that, in addition to this collective disruption to society right right <laughs> you know, there's 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 you know like we lost our person and whether that they lost their person to to COVID or not uh you know i think there's a kind of fear that that their person's signature story gets drowned in this huge collective disruption you know this the story that we're all walking in now and, and then and then I think there's 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 also this sense and this is this is changing now as things open and up open up and you know uh, I think there's maybe less fear now but let's say in April in the in the in the in the heart of it there was there was there was there was less opportunity to handhold like literally <laughs> literally but also figuratively right so so the funeral directors were also doing the arrangements um, over the phone or, or maybe uh, zoom or whatever and then and then likewise you know the celebrants who is who are there were providing some sort of spiritual care were not there in person hugging and handholding you know and and so so there's a sense of there was a sense of like distance um I think from the families, there's not having the kind of intimate help that they that they needed it, that they need in this time of
2: huge crisis and grief. So that, that's that's I think the main thing that I observe. Have observed, and then we, you know we we
1: then we finally meet, let's say at the graveside service or chapel service, whatever, and it's kind of tough because you can't hug, you know. You, you got your face mask on, and uh, just it's that's that's a little difficult.
0: Right, right. And from what I'm reading, that may not change at least
1: for a that while. not change. That may not change. And so the the webcasting is here to stay. Mm-hmm. The the you know I can't even shake
2: the widower's hand. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Or hug him. <laughs> you know, uh, it's. And, you know, so it's just, it's a lot of, a lot of this stuff we're sort of just, I think we're going to grow into, Mm -hmm. uh, but people are, people are still pretty resilient and kind of amazing.
0: Yes, that is, Uh, is, I mean, the the death count is, the enormity of it is staggering, yet the number of people who have recovered, and I was just reading about this 101 year old woman who recovered from COVID. And the first thing he asked for was a beer. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that.
1: What kind of beer did she drink?
0: uh, I think it was
1: Bud Light or something. Oh, yeah, Bud Light. Yeah, I think it was too,
0: yeah. (laughs) That's That's a great photo. Uh, So is there, is any advice for someone who has lost a loved one, whether it's COVID related or, uh, and actually, there's another question. Any advice, because it's hard not to want a hug. It's hard to think you're not going to get a hug when you're grieving. Uh, any advice that, or any things you've yeah. seen people have done that help them in this unusual grief strategy?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, like the first thing I guess, like maybe I'm repeating myself, but um, the, the way that we're going to honor our person, the way that
2: we're going to enter into the into our grief Mm -hmm.
1: is more phased is more staged now than it's ever been before
2: right
1: so so let's just you know so my advice to the family would let's just take it in kind of little chunks right so so first so first what are we going you know, what are we going and this this will be a, a, some advice from the funeral director or whatever, but like so how are we going to take care of your loved one's body? Are we gonna create, it? are we gonna, you know, we're gonna are we gonna bury right away? Are we going to so so that's that's the first thing. And then and then one of the ways that we're as a company, and particularly like this is what I what I feel like my role is right now, is let's help you to get your person's story written you know at least at least in part let's begin this whole process by telling the stories and getting it posted so other people can add to it and then we will um and then and then maybe there is a graveside service and burial maybe there's a a crypt side service with a you know the the urn being um entombed in a niche uh and then or or um, we'll, we'll, so,
2: we, so we'll, we'll, we'll do all of that and then we'll plan and then we'll plan for a fuller life celebration where we're, hopefully when things open up we'll have a lot more people coming to uh, honor our
1: person and it's it's been so amazing um, so, so so the point I'm trying to make is that there's this staging process there's a, it's, a, it's in phases right now and um, I helped a family with a with a with a, a lovely, lovely guy. It's, he just sounded like an amazing man. Um, with his um, obituary, I'm going to say really
2: more like a eulogy. And um, and they cremated him, and you know they have his urn. His wife has
1: his, his urn. But what they're going to do um, in July. Um, in her language lord willing is um is uh his birthday is i think july 11. and so and he liked to sing karaoke, karaoke. and so they're gonna if it is open um, they're going to go to his favorite ka- karaoke ka- karaoke place and then and then um so they're going to do that in Bellingham because that's that's where they had lived, and then they're going to do another um, arc, arcade game center um, celebration with another smaller group of people in I don't know north of Tacoma or something like that, where he also liked to go. He was a gamer and playful, childlike guy. But uh, so they're going to so they're going to do these there's going to do these like you know sort of phased and staged celebrations of life and then when things just like hopefully they're maybe maybe wishful thinking when things really open up they'll have a you know a big gathering Mm -hmm. to celebrate his life but so it so i just thought that was kind of lovely that they were doing these things and planning these unusual ways to celebrate his life yeah
0: right right um what has been the toughest thing that you've had to change or experience, adjust to?
1: I would say it just goes back to, um, you know, the adjustment um, to, of distance between myself and the morning grieving people, the bereaved. Um, I just
2: it's it's tough you know number one, number one not even actually being in the same physical space when we're gathering their loved one's stories
1: I think it's tough for them it's tough for me and then when we do meet like i said it's it feels a little bit on the like almost tragic that you know i can't reach out and hug them and, and just kind of be closer with them and and so that's that's what i would say is the toughest thing you know here i am supposed to be you know kind of with these people and
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i can't do it properly it doesn't feel like i'm doing it properly right um, but so i guess i i guess what i try to do is maybe use that use the saved time that i would Traveling
2: to visit homes and all that, I just try to do maybe even a better job in writing their loved person, loved love one's story. Yeah,
1: you know, um, I would. Do you know Thomas Lynch? He was a he's a funeral director and poet. Yeah, you know. him yes. yeah. yeah. He had a he has this uh, beautiful article out in this month's uh, Atlantic Monthly, and it's, his article is called, it's called "Death Without Ceremony." Death yes. without ceremony.
0: Um,
1: and yeah and it it, you know he talks about the fear that families grieving families have that you know the collective hundred thousand deaths is going to overwhelm and swamp the signature life of my loved one right right there's there's kind of a i mean that seems Like a remarkable observation that that, you know that we just get that our person's story gets swamped in this bigger story, and he kind of he 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 does this lovely job of of comforting, um, you know, people who have suffered loss, even maybe a COVID loss, Mm -hmm. by just saying you know, like number one even if it's a COVID death, that's just a footnote right. on my person's life. That's just a footnote. And, um, you know, he says, he says, like, he, he writes this beautiful line of uh, that death steals everything except our stories. Oh,
2: wow. Death,
1: death steals everything except our stories. And so you know death can't even take our stories away right like no, no way so so it all starts it feels like to me when when we, when we need to pay our respects and we're, we're 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 trying to do the best we can during this time to pay our respects we need to get our person's story told right that's the, that's like the first order of business so that so that we're so that you know we're carrying that person in our memory
0: right,
1: and we're carrying that person. And we're, and that's like obviously our, our job to do our work to do along with those other things, you know, but, um, and then, you know, something that you have said often before, right? Grief stories are love stories.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that's an Elizabeth tagline, but, um, you know, so the first order of business, whether it's a pandemic or not, um, is gathering and telling our loved ones' stories. Right. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. What did, um, what brought you to this field in the first place?
1: Oh, to this field? Yes. Well, um, so my, my, uh, my parents were missionaries Ooh. to Japan mm-hmm. and I grew up in Japan until I was 18 years old. Oh my gosh. And, um, so there was always this sense of, you know, kind of this, uh, uh we, they, sacred profane, sort of bifurcation in, in my life, you know, sort of the Japanese heathens and we're going to you know, save the souls. Of, and, and, um, so I just had this kind of thirst to, uh, Kind of know about things of the spirit and you know maybe rites and rituals and ceremony so i went to seminary i went to princeton theological seminary like I, like you in your introduction of the ridiculously named master of divinity uh, <laughs> <laughs> as if as if but uh, so uh, then i kind of went through my life i was in academics i was in business i was in just a number of things, and and when a big life change came along in my fifties, I just thought, actually, from reading some of Thomas Lynch's books, you know, I figured I would maybe do well to um, sort of put my seminary training to work by becoming a funeral director. So I went to funeral. I went to funeral service school. I never became a funeral director, actually, but once I entered into the field. It felt like this was a, like a tiny little niche being a celebrator chaplain which was fitting for kind of both my interest and my education right, yeah, right. So. interesting Does that answer your question you, uh,
0: yes yeah it's okay, okay. See, i love the japanese lead up there too yep. i mean that really must, must have been a profound impact that 18. Yep. um so you were you a fu- funeral te- uh removal tech at one
1: point i was yes i was and that uh i think oh yeah in your in your first book um, yeah, uh, just a little more time uh, i have a story in there about a removal i did so the first part of it was just like um the first part of my entering into death care i guess you could say was um you know just uh Getting familiar with going into homes where the where the loved one had died, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know, and bringing out in the most reverent way possible, the you know the loved one. Right, right. Into our, we called it into coming into our care. Yeah. Right. Oh, what
0: a beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Do you have any um, friends who are still? Uh, removal tax can you imagine I can't imagine I'm wondering if you have some insight into how that's dealt with now
1: yes um, there
2: are um, so when it comes time for the for the
1: funeral removal for the removal tax, uh, they, they would know in advance if there's a, if there's a covid if they're going to pick up a covid case
0: right and so there are
1: you know such sort of strict protocols in place and ppe right, right. Protective equipment um for them to go do that so that they're safe <laughs> um yeah um but um other than that other than the, than the actual covid case you know
2: right. it's, it's uh from what I understand from my from my removal tech friends, it's you know it's
1: the same. It's the same, right? Yeah. Uh,
0: I remember that story in the first book and uh, the interaction with the family as you were uh, yeah the, the wife the mom yeah and I'm just that that was just so moving and I'm just wonder I, I'm assuming they can no no longer stop and I um uh, you know have a conversation with the folks and I, I relate that to, to myself as I was with my cousin when she died of ovarian cancer. My sister and I were both at her side the last couple of weeks of her life in California and um, the removal text came um, and uh, they suggested we go in the other room, her her husband and I, my sister, um, and we, that we go in the other room and because they would do something, have to do something with the body and you know that's uh, probably not something yeah. you could, to witness yeah. um so we went in the in the bedroom and we kind of we started telling stories about myra and the three of us yeah. and she'd been married six years so a lot of the stories uh larry didn't even know but we started telling the stories and then um the removal tech who was extremely courteous um came in and said we're, we're going to leave now um, you know, I'm sorry for your loss, all the right things, very heartfelt. And um, Larry, I said to Larry, do you want to see them go? And he said he, he did. Um, so I walked out to the front porch with him mm-hmm. and we were, had just finished putting her in the back of the van. And we both kind of were like, well, we didn't quite know what to expect but we didn't think it was going to be a minivan." It was just getting it just struck as funny, you know. And it was sort of that that tension humor, you know, they just kind of start laughing yeah, and sure. then crying. Um, but I just remembered the uh, the the care they took with Myra and and just asking a few questions about her and then the ability to there was a bit of closure, not full closure, but there was a bit of closure and able to being to see her being taken in the van and we stood there as van drove away. And I'm just wondering if now, if people get even that tiny little bit of closure and how we can and kind of help them maybe visualize, uh, do you do any visualization with the people or, you know, I'm just, I, I feel for the grievers out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Um this didn't happen very often and it might have actually been against company protocol. Oh, uh-huh. But, um, oh, but the, my, my, my most sacred removals
2: mm-hmm.
1: of bodies were when I invited the family to participate
2: oh, yeah.
1: in shrouding, in shrouding the body.
0: Right, right.
1: And, and um, oh i bet that would yeah, be yeah oh it was just uh it was just lovely and then um i think there was one case um where you know like there weren't enough removal texts and so the family so i said i can wait either like a couple of hours till you know someone shows up or mm-hmm. if you're willing to help me right I can come now mm-hmm so they so they went through the whole process with me and again this is um i'm telling on myself (laughs) but um you know i always felt like it was i always felt like it was actually like you know when we do the heavy lifting you know like literally Literally. the heavy lifting um that's when we actually you know something happens to our souls when we do that, when we, when we're, when we're touching and lifting, lifting and shrouding and wrapping and, um, that's, that helps in our goodbye, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think I didn't answer your question very well. <laughs> I'm not sure there is an answer because at this time oh. it's just hard to bring
0: the loved ones into the process of yeah. Yeah. moments.
1: Yeah. Um, I I think I told you also that I'm I'm a certified cremationist. So I do cre- I've done in the past. I don't do that anymore, but I've, I've done cremations and and that is very visceral. You know, when the families do a witness cremation and they actually see the fire, hear the roar, mm-hmm. like wow, that's just so powerful um, to experience that and feel the heat, even you know. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, w- one of the things I, I like, um, one of the phrases that I like is that, um, you know, in our business, we serve the living, right? We serve the living. Yes. By caring for their dead.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yes. Yeah. i it down. Uh, yeah. you know, and that is something that we can do as, um, it's just a, a popular, you know, as people, especially if we know that we, that someone has lost someone, uh, yes. you know, someone they love, is to share those stories. Um, I always tell Absolutely. people, right. yes. you know, put it yes. in I remember yes. the time when, you know? Yes.
1: And, um, yes. Oh my goodness, like, don't ever think that you have to hold back from sharing a story of, you know, the person who's grieving their loved one. I mean, they want to hear that, right? Share. They want to hear it. it.
0: Uh, Some of my older friends, I love being able to tell stories that maybe their their spouse didn't know because this was before the spouse or whatever, you know, good stories, wonderful stories. And and, in fact, I have a friend who lost her husband um, over, well, almost two years from now, I guess. Anyway, he, he and I worked together a long, long, long time ago. And she, she actually was his secretary, but I worked with him even longer. And, and uh, I did share with Lori uh, after her, uh, Mike's death that Mike saved me from a really horrible potential Me Too situation oh, okay. with the president of the company. And of course he never, said anything to Lori about it, and I just just said, uh, I'll just always remember Mike, not only for, you know, the years, but just, that was a huge thing he did in a really scary, a very scary time, I think he was 24 years old, and, uh, but but to share that story with her, you know, now, after he's gone, uh, her face just lit up. You know, yeah. it's just remarkable. So I think if there's one thing that you've highlighted today, which is the importance of stories, yes. and getting the story right, getting the story to be able to share, it's also for us who are, are helping the person who's mourning to share stories that we know, I think that's that's the big takeaway. That's, that's what we all have, we still have. We still have our stories. Yeah. We may not have our freedom or, you know, that sort of thing, but we have our stories. So.
1: Yeah. And yes pandemics and death steal everything but they do not steal our stories
0: they don't yeah. they don't and I, uh, this has just been wonderful I always love talking to you but it's great to know that we can share this with, with the outside world um, yeah. and so we'll, we'll today end on that note of the importance yeah. of stories but um, as this pandemic goes along and as, as you have other stories perhaps you wouldn't mind coming back on our show no and problem. then also um if you you know we are getting ready to kind of start looking at new stories for okay. you know, new publications and boy i sure would love to have another piece from you you're just one of the most amazing writers i've ever experienced so thank you so much paul and to all, all the <laughs> listeners out there yes um, i appreciate
1: it Elizabeth. thank you for Thank you. Giving it this chance to share my story with you. Yeah,
0: thank you. Right. Thank you, Paul. Okay, so I'll cut it off there. But uh, right. <laughs> I really wanted to thank you. Thank that you. was wonderful. Thank I love. You. I love having kind of informal because it does the stories part really do. That was amazing. So thank you so much. And I've written down some of these things, and I'm going to get these links, and I'll type up a, a like a blog post from your transcription. Um, okay yeah and then you know, we'll share that so that it'd be like you know and I am starting to I've been asked to put some stuff on the um, the website medium. Have you heard about that medium?
1: Yes yes uh-huh. uh, uh,
0: yeah. okay uh, I'd like uh, with your you know after you've reviewed it and we kind of collaborate on yep. it together that we will post it on medium for you know bigger bigger uh, opportunity there to, to share I' would love to anyway. yeah. yeah thank, thank- you. So much, Paul, and, yeah. as, and Take as, care, be safe, okay, please. Yeah, be safe, stay well until yeah. we meet again. All right. Really appreciate it. Bye now. Take care. Bye.